Hey, good morning, everybody. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called My Favorite Verse. You're going to get to hear over the next few weeks from several of our teachers at LifePoint as they share about how God's Word has spoken to them throughout their journey. I can remember when I first started following Christ, what it was like when I opened up His Word and, and started to read things that I'd never even considered before. One verse that sticks out to me is in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 38, when it says this, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can remember when I was very young in my faith, that section of scripture helping me wrap my mind around what it means for God, our creator, to love us and for God to love me through that relationship that I developed with Jesus Christ. It was a powerful time. I also remember the first time I started committing scripture to memory. And I opened up my Bible and I started reading and I came to Proverbs chapter three, beginning at verse five, and committed to memory, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And those verses helped me develop my young faith as I came to know more and more about my creator. I also remember just a few years ago, I allowed fear and anxiety to creep into my life. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having trouble staying focused. I was having trouble feeling like God was really protecting me. And a good friend of mine suggested that I read part of Psalm 23 every time I felt fear and anxiety creeping into my life where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And I would repeat that over and over. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And I felt myself leaving that dark emotional place as I focused on God's words that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. One of the writers of the New Testament says that God's word is living and active. That means that wherever we are in our lives, whether at a great time or an emotional, a challenging time, or we've made a huge mistake, God's word has something for us and it can speak to us. Have you ever read a verse that you've read hundreds of times and never really noticed it, but all of a sudden, because what's going on in your life, it meant something. Or you've heard a biblical story, maybe since you were a child, and all of a sudden that story has brand new meaning because of where you are. That's how powerful God's Word is. So our favorite verses aren't really specific verses at all. It's the verse that speaks to us where we are in life. And that's what we're going to hear some of our pastors talk about over the next few weeks. So I invite you to be here every Sunday. Whether your Bible is worn from you studying it or your Bible needs dust at all, or maybe you don't know anything about the Bible, I hope that through these messages, you'll find your favorite verse to speak to you wherever you are in your journey with God. Well, I'm very excited to get to share with you my favorite verse, and a lot of the things that you just heard Donnie saying uh, really resonate. God's been working on me and, and showing me some things. and So my, my verse comes from the Bible. 
I don't know what everybody else is going to be sharing with you from. There's some Shakespeare fans on staff, but mine's coming from the Bible, and so you're going to need one of those. If you don't have a Bible, you need to put your hand in the air right now. Our ushers will come down the aisle and find you, and if you don't already have a Bible, uh, we want to encourage you to take this home as a gift and use it and write in it. Uh, Today's verse that we're going to be looking at is a very, very important verse. You need to memorize this. This is one that you need to memorize for sure. Now, I want you, part of the reason this is so important is because the verse that we're going to look at speaks to the very mission for why you were put on this earth. It's like the heartbeat of what you're supposed to do. So, Imagine for a moment that you are a spy, you're like black ops, and you have been embedded in this community, and you, you, some of you, your, your cover is that you're a mother with three kids, others of you, you are uh, working uh, in sales, others of you are students, it's your cover, but we all know that that's not really why you're here, you've got a secret mission that you are carrying out. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Because that mission that God has given you is also one that Jesus had. It was Jesus' mission. It was his focus and reason for being here. And then he has passed that on to you and I and said, I want you to do the same things that I did. And so since he did it and we do it, it becomes a co-mission. And we call it the Great Commission. So to put this into perspective, we've got Jesus. He comes onto the scene Um, say 0 AD, he's born. He only lives 33 years. In the first 30 of that, he's not really doing ministry. He he looks like a pretty average, ordinary guy. Then he comes to his cousin, John, the Baptist, and he says, John, I want to be baptized. And John says, you don't need to be baptized. And he says, well, I want to do this, fulfill all righteousness. And so he goes through this process, which is kind of the same thing that you and I would do. And then Jesus spends the next three years of his life, the focus of his ministry, pouring into 12 guys. He plays the role of the rabbi. He's the teacher. And they play the role of the disciple, the student. And so through this time, they get to watch him. They get to see how he lives life from the inside. They get to mimic the rabbi. And then Jesus is put on a cross, He dies. He rises again from the dead. He visits his disciples again. Resurrected Lord here. Number of occasions. And then he says, meet me up on this hill. And then right before he ascends into heaven, not to be seen again until he returns, right before he does that, he gives them their their marching orders. What they're supposed to be doing while he's gone. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now he didn't begin his ministry by saying this, but he ends his ministry by saying this. It has a little more weight, doesn't it? If you tell your disciples, hey, I'm going to die and then rise from the dead, and then you do that, and then you come to them and say, look, you know that there's authorities on earth, right? There's authorities in heaven, look, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I can bestow it on whoever I choose. And so he says to them, Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What it says there in the Greek is actually the make disciples is first. So it's make disciples as you go. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to be making disciples. How are you going to do this? Well, you're going to baptize them. The word literally means to immerse. Immerse them in what? The name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. See, for Hebrews, the name embodied all of the character, all of the being of that person, that individual. And so what Jesus says is, look, I want you to make disciples by just immersing people into everything that I am, that I and the Father and the Holy Spirit. I, just, I want them to just be covered in it and it surround them in every way. And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. You guys have been hanging out with me. You've heard me teach again and again. I want you to teach them to obey those things. Not teach them what I said, but no, teach them actually how to obey. Like, how do you actually do this? Are you going to pray? You're going to go over and heal somebody? You're going to go over and, and, and hang out with somebody in their home? How do you really do this? How do you make that stuff happen? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, look, you're not going to be alone. I am going to be with you every step of the way as you carry out this mission. All right, so what is Jesus' command to you and I? What is our mission? To make disciples, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. Very last words that he says, make disciples. And Jesus, he did that. He went out, he made disciples. And he told those disciples, do the same thing that I did for you. You, you propagate that. Continue to do that same thing. I even showed you how to do it. So we know that's what we got to do. Well, I want to ask a few questions today. They're going to be hard questions. I, wanna, I want you to write this question down. I want you to stew on this throughout this week. Am I making disciples? Are you doing what Jesus has commanded you to do? as your primary mission in this world? Are you making disciples? Have you ever led somebody to Christ? Have you ever sat down with them and said, I need to tell you about the most important person in my life? It's Jesus. I want to tell you what he does when he comes into your life. It's the most important thing. And I've been talking with you, and I know that there's things that are going on in your life You've been looking for answers. I have the answer. It's Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen a really great movie like, like Superman or, or whatever else is out there right now and, and, and told somebody about that movie? Have you ever done that? Are you out there teaching people how to obey these commands? Like, do you have somebody right now that pops in your mind, yes, on a regular basis we get together? Because putting this stuff into practice is kind of hard. I mean, it's, it's great kind of hearing it from the stage, but then you go out there Monday through Saturday a little harder, but you're showing them how to do this. How do you carry this stuff out living in our context in our lives today? Just kind of drawn from your own life. Here's exactly how you carry out 
this mission, this life that Jesus offers. Well, statistically, those who, who study us, the church body, those who profess to follow Christ, they say that most of us will go our entire lives having never led anybody to Christ, having never discipled anybody. We're, we're lucky just to have invited them to church, let alone actually have done these things ourselves. And I know it's hard to invite people. I mean, there's a lot of excuses. I mean, it's, it's a nice day. You could be playing golf right now, right? There's a lot of other things you could be doing other than being here at church on a Sunday morning. But it, it, it seems to me like when I read the Bible, when I, I start to really look at what they did and how they operated, it almost feels like they had it a little easier than us. Did you ever get those feelings? Like you read in here and there was like miracles happening. There was like a sense of awe in the, in the community. Like, wow, something's happening. There was this love, this, this community, this connection that just sucked people in. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to try to invite people to church back in the day? I mean, it, it does sound kind of good, doesn't it? But I don't really know if it's quite the same thing because just picture this. Hey, you need to come and check out my church. The worship is awesome. It's really good worship. The teaching, really good stuff. But I just, you know, you're coming for the first time. I think I kind of want to let you know if anybody knows that you came to my church, they're going to kill you and your entire family. But we have really good donuts. It's like right before the service, you get your donuts. And How did they do this? I mean, that, that's the kind of environment that they operated under. You'd be kicked out of the synagogue. You would be stoned to death if, if you became a Christ follower. I, I do think, I mean, I, I'm sure that they had some great worship experiences and I know that they had good doctrine and good messages but you know what I think was the driving force what made evangelism almost just just easy for them was that there was something attractive about them when you were in their presence you noticed that there was something significantly different that they had something that you did not have that there was a confidence that they had that you don't have, that there were things that they faced in their life, fears that, that, that you saw, you saw the same stuff they're dealing with, that you're dealing with, but yet somehow it didn't affect them the same way. And not only that, but, but there was almost something inside of you that was just drawn to them. You, you couldn't even explain it, but it's just something kind of moving you to want to hang around them, to want to give things to them, to want to be in their life. And that's the way it was to be around Jesus. There was just something attractive about him. He just drew people. People who were afraid to go to other places and afraid to go to the religious establishment. But they would come to Jesus. And they would come to his disciples too. That brings me to my second question. And maybe this is part of the answer to the first question of why it's kind of hard to make disciples. I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I a disciple? Because it, it takes one to make one, right? You, you kind of have to be there first to be able to show somebody else how to do something. You've got to know how to do it. Otherwise, really quickly we realize that we've got the blind leading the blind here, and it doesn't go very far. 
Well, the actual word disciple, the Greek word is mathetes. And the, the, the word literally means to be a learner, like to be a student. And, and it comes from the, the word mathematikes, which is, is the Greek word for things concerning learning. Now, can you imagine what word we get from that? Mathematics. I mean, that was like early on, people who were learning about math and numbers and prime numbers, they were, they were learners. And so that's literally what it means. And to be a disciple means that you are following after the life of Jesus. It means that you, you look at his life and you say, I want that life. I want, I want the life that Jesus lived. I want to experience what he experienced. I want to go through all of that. And if you start to look at Jesus' life, what you see is that he operated out of, out of three relationships, three areas, and they were kind of in balance in his life. One of those was with the Father. He was always talking to the Father. He would wake up early in the mornings, and we'd go out, and his disciples would be watching him. Like, there goes Jesus again, up at the crack of dawn, going out. And he would pray. He would talk to God, and God would talk to him. And, and Jesus literally says, look, all the stuff that you see me doing, huh? I didn't like come up with this on my own. I just got it from God. Like, my father tells me what to do, and I do it. He s- tells me what to say, and I say it. That, that's how I operate in life. I'm not operating on anything other than what you would have, which is your father. And then he spent time with his disciples, not just with the father, but he would go with those that he was investing in, and he'd hang out with them. And they, he'd do some teaching to a big crowd, and then he'd get with them, and, he'd, and they'd be like, well, Jesus, what exactly did you mean by that? Are we really confused about this? And then he would instruct them, and they would have this dialogue. And then he would actually send them out on missionary journeys. And then they would come back, and he'd say, hey, how did it go? Well, this is what happened. Oh, okay. And there would be this back-and-forth exchange. And then thirdly, Jesus spent time with those who were lost. You would find him at parties, at weddings, at he was just out there connecting with people who didn't know who he was, who didn't know this life, and then he would invite them into it. See, this is how Jesus operated, and this is how we're to operate too. It's, he's this vine that comes up, and the vine has all of this energy. It's, it's where the plant gets all of its, its juice from, right? And he says, you are branches connected to me. The more that you put his practices in, the bigger a branch you get, the more power that's running through you, the more fruit you can, you can make that comes off of you and that you experience. Jesus is saying, look, I tapped into the power of God and, and you can tap into the power of God and I will show you how to do this. But you have to ask yourself, do you really want the Jesus life? Jesus invites you to it. Come to, the, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. But then he also challenges and he says, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. You have to count your life as, as death. Do you really want that life? Because there's going to be a force that's fighting against you and it's your body. It's, it's all the flesh that's in here and it wants things. Like it wants to eat. It likes to eat. That's what your body does. 
and it gives you these cravings. And, and so you go out and you're eating and then you get upset and you just, you just feel like you're uncomfortable and you don't want to have to deal with anything. And so you're like, I just need some Ben and Jerry's. And you start to eat and, and, and it feels better. You, you feel better for a little bit. Or maybe you go running out to the mall and you do some shopping. And I know how this works because I, I go out, I have to shop every once in a while. And I buy an outfit or buy something I need and then I throw it into my closet. It stays there for three weeks while I like, systematically wear my outfits in order and you know, I'm saving it. And my girls look at me and they're like, Dad, how can you do this? When you buy an outfit, you've got to put the outfit on. And I see it makes them skip around the house. You know, it feels really good to have that. There's other things. Our bodies they crave sex sometimes. And you can make your life chasing after those kinds of things. And they, for a moment, there's a, there's a part of them that like satisfies for a moment, but then, they, it, then it goes away and you need something more. And you always know that you need something more. And you try to convince yourself, well, this kind of is what it is, and this is kind of, you got to really just enjoy where you're at and be content. Don't be content. I, I've spent a lot of time traveling over the last 15 days, probably like 3,000 miles, back and forth to the Midwest, and it's been crazy. But I have gotten to see a lot of the signage when you're traveling, and you know there's a lot of crazy signs out there. A lot of things are advertising these days, like strip clubs. Like constantly, you see these advertisements. But I found one strip club. I didn't actually go there. I just saw the sign. <laughs> to clarify here. But it was the best name for a strip club I have ever heard. The Mirage. I mean, is that not awesome? I feel like this guy was sitting there coming up with a name and the Holy Spirit was like, Mirage. He's like, Mirage, it'd be great. I mean, can't you just picture this? You're out in the desert, right? And you're so thirsty right now. And you look out and there you see this pool of water. And you only got enough energy to just make it to that pool. So you're like, I'm making it. So you just like haul a sprint, Right? And you get ready to dive into that water and to drink it up only to find out that it was a mirage. That nothing but sand and more heat. That's what this life is like if you don't tap into the vine. If you don't chase after Jesus' way. And his way is so good. It's better than anything else so that even all of these things that kind of you feel like you need and you can't give up, I'm telling you, I know how that feels, but you really can't. Like it, once, you, once you've tasted of the real thing, those other things, it's like they don't, don't have the taste anymore. I, I grew up in St. Louis. And, uh, and so I, my parents, we would occasionally have people come, and we would go to Anheuser-Busch's brewery. We would tour it. Uh, and I can just remember as a kid, you know, seeing the Clydesdales and all the St. Louis Cardinal paraphernalia, because they used to own them, and, and just the smell of that beer fermenting, just how good that smelled. And so when I got older, I, would, I started drinking Bud Light. And I was like, oh, you know, you get used to it, but then you're like, oh, this tastes really good. I, got, I like the taste of Bud Light. And then something happened in my life, and I've never drinking Bud Light again. It just like stopped one day. I tasted my, my brother-in-law's homebrew. And I've never had anything like that. I mean, I'm, this guy just, he started with the kits, but now he has an entire brewery in his garage. And so I go back to Kansas, and he has these, these wheat beers with raspberry, and he's have these Trappist ones that are recipes from the monks. Monks used to make this in the 1500s. All of it, no preservatives, unfiltered. 
oatmeal porters. And you just, you sip this stuff and you go, this is the most amazing tasting stuff in the world. Like, this is unbelievable. And it's gotten to the point now that if we go out someplace and all they have is Bud Light, I just get a water. <laughs> Honestly, because you can't go, once you have, when you go to heaven, I, and you can trust me, as a pastor, I gotta, you know, the beer in heaven will taste like my brother-in-law's homebrew. It's that good. Spiritual stuff. And, and when they're brewing this stuff, it's fun to watch because people start to come out of the woodwork, the neighborhood, and they come over to his garage and they have some of this, this brew and they just they start to talk about life. Spiritual discussions happen over this stuff. Now here's the deal. Jesus, he's probably not the, uh, the new beer but you know what he did say of himself? He says, I am the new wine. My teaching and all that I am, it's like new wine. And once you've tasted of the new wine, once you've tasted of me and everything that I have, you will never go back to the old. Once you've tasted of that. So how do we step into this? I mean, that's really the question, isn't it? How do you connect to this vine? How do you start to experience this kind of life that's just flowing through you? You've got to find a way to immerse yourself into it, to learn the methods, to learn what Jesus did, to learn how he connected. But the one thing that I'm convinced in all of this is that if all you ever do is come on a Sunday morning, you're never going to tap into this life. If all you ever do is just spend time in study and learning, you will never tap into this life. Because even though a mathetes is a learner, it's a specific type of learner. It's somebody who does on-the-job training. And in honesty here, like, my brother-in-law is a paramedic, and so he's kind of told me how they train, and there's some schooling that you go to. But how many of you would like, if you were ailing, you're having a heart attack, would like to be treated by a paramedic who is fresh out of academics. He's never been on the truck before, but he's read about it. On a regular basis, he got in there. He's even, he's even got, he's passed some tests, like 70s, 80s. He's passing grades. Do you want to be treated by that guy? Or would you rather be treated by a guy who never stepped foot into that center of learning, but for the last year, he has been hanging out on the truck with an expert paramedic? where he's been trained, oh, do this, don't do this, watch how I'm doing this. No, okay, you see why we do this? Because of this. That's why we do this this thing here. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Where do you go anywhere in life and become an expert in a highly skilled area? And following Jesus and tapping into his ways is a highly skilled endeavor. Where do you go and, and just show up for an hour four or five times a month. I'm saying five because sometimes there's five Sundays in a month, but most of them there's only four, right? Like, really, where in life do you do that, where you get that kind of coaching? And, and suddenly out pops this person who can do this stuff. And it just doesn't make any sense. And then what happens is I hear people who will say, you know, I feel like I'm not getting fed. Of course you're not getting fed. What would happen if you went to Ruth Chris Steakhouse, all right, and you order their, like, $50 plate of filet mignon, and out comes this plate, and you're looking at it, you can just smell it. Oh, it smells good. 
Aren't you guys getting hungry? It's about lunchtime. Here is this filet mignon. Here's a steak. Mashed potatoes with all the seasoning, the vegetables, got all this stuff, garnished with a little piece of parsley, some mint sprinkled on it. And you look at this whole thing, and you're like, oh, this looks good. And then you grab that parsley, and you just start chewing on it. And you're like, you guys, you guys put a little mint in this, didn't you? This is really good stuff. This is awesome. And, and, then, and then you push the rest of the plate away. That was really, really good. That was great stuff. Mm. And then you come the next week and you do the same thing. You go, it was good. A little, little less mint this time, wasn't it? That's, it's okay. It's good. And then the next week you're like, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed here at Ruth Chris. Maybe I need to go to some other restaurant. Maybe some other place has, has what I need. Folks, don't get me wrong. I love what we do here Sunday morning. I really do. I love the worship. I love, I love us all getting together and, and getting to hear messages. A lot of times you come in here and you get inspired by them, right? But what you need to understand is that this is the parsley. You guys are tasting parsley right now. It's actually pretty good. It kind of cleanses your mouth, but it just isn't quite satisfying, is it? It's the tip of the iceberg. It is the cherry on the sundae. That's what this experience is. But if you really want to be nourished and grown to step in, you're going to need more than this. In fact, you realize that the early church, they did not have what we have right here. There was no large gathering. There was early on, but very quickly persecution set in. And suddenly when there's persecution, you don't have a big gathering like this. If the United States government turns on us as Christians... Do you think that we're going to show up with a website that says, show up at 8.30 at LifePoint at Durant Road Middle School? You don't put things like that out there. And so the church didn't have this experience. At 100 AD, there was only about 20,000 Christians estimated in the world. Between 100 AD, under heavy persecution, with no large Sunday morning gathering like this, they grew to over 20 million by 312 AD, when Constantine said, all right, Christianity is official Roman religion. Some people think that's when, when, when Christianity really took off. But no, he was just bowing to the political movement of the day. The Christians had topped over 50% of the population. And we see the same thing in the Chinese church. The Chinese, they go, and, and in 1945, Mao comes into power, Mao Zedong. And the first thing he does is he exacts the most potent persecution of Christians probably in modern time, if not the history. He went through and confiscated all of their property. He, he took all the missionaries who had been there and investing. The, they were about two million at the time. And, and he, he pushed all of them out. And one of the missionaries leaving, he said, look, we left them with nothing but the Holy Spirit. All of the leaders of the churches were executed. And so in 1976, when Mao is no longer in power, Nixon goes over, the the bamboo curtain starts to uh, go away, and the Christians are thinking, what happened? They were 20 million. We wonder what they've dwindled to under under no experience like this. And what they found is that they were now at 60 million. Think about that. I love Sunday morning, but when you see people here who are experiencing a life that you don't have, 
you need to understand it's because they are invested other places. They have people who they are connecting with through Monday through Saturday. They're in life groups. They have people who are keeping them accountable. When they hear a message on Sunday and they feel convicted about it, they go and tell somebody, say, look, that message on Sunday, here's what I kind of heard God saying to me. And then that person says to them, so what are you going to do about it? And you go, oh, maybe I need to do this, this, and that. And then on Friday or Saturday, they say, hey, how did it go? And you go, oh, well, I kind of struggled here and here. Well, maybe you need to try this because they're experts in it. And they're guiding you along the pathway how to tap into the power. And so here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you are listening to this today and you go, okay, I've been kind of saying I think I have it, but what he talked about today, I don't have. Like, I'm not tapping into that power. I may know Christ, but I'm not experiencing his life that allows me to have the spirit flowing through me so that discipleship is really easy because people are just kind of coming to you and spiritual discussions happen and you don't have to say anything about it. It just pops up there. Nobody's sitting there having to train you. Here's what you say to somebody because there's something else at work, a power beyond you that's just flowing through you that just creates this stuff naturally. If you're not experiencing that, you need to find somebody who is. You need to go to God and say, Ask, seek, knock. God, whatever you can do, just, I, I need somebody like this in my life. And then when you find them, you grab a hold of them and you do not let go and you say, I want you to show me how to do what you're doing. I'm not going to let go until you, let, you show me. I, w- I, want you, I want your life. I want to imitate you. Show me how to do this. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll read through whatever. I'll talk through. I'll, I'll do it because I want this life. Jesus looked out. And he said, look, the, the, the fields are white with harvest. You don't have to go in there and scratching and scratching trying to make something happen. It, it's out there. They'll fall into your lap. What we need are workers to go out into the field who can work that field. I want to close with a quote from a guy who is at the very heartbeat of discipleship. He died just about a month or two ago. His name is Dallas Willard. And I think he's had a profound effect on on so many people over the last 60, 70 years. But when he looked out at our society and our culture, this is what he said was the greatest issue and problem. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, and there's a lot of them, aren't there? The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Amen? Heavenly Father, we want you in our life. We want your power flowing through us. We want to be your disciples. We want it more than all this other stuff because it's the only thing that can satisfy. Lord, if we don't have a disciple, would you bring somebody into our life? Would you just like, we see it and we feel your pressing in that moment, we know that's the person I need to talk to. Or Lord, if we're just not investing in people, would you press on our heart somebody that we need to put our investment into, somebody who we need to show, somebody who we need to invite to imitate us as we imitate you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.